Friends, you and I need to stand up and be counted. You and I need to learn how to stand up and be counted. In this situation, everybody in the Babylonian culture is falling down to worship this gold image created by this very powerful king, except for three guys. Three guys, everyone else bows down, three guys just stand on up. They don't bow down, they stay firm. They're these three guys who follow God. They're smart. They've got important jobs. Overall, they're doing really well for themselves. But one day an issue comes up that stops them in their tracks. What should they do? If they take a stand, they'll be canceled. But if they follow their culture, they'll be turning against the God they serve. Today, Pastor Daniel invites you to study how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand firm and follow God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Daniel chapter 3 as he begins a new message called Flashpoint. When you think about the word flashpoint, you realize that that is a moment, a place, an event, or a time at which trouble flares up. You ever have a moment where you're like, oh man, this thing is going to snap in a moment. So I grew up in an all-Italian family in New Jersey, which means that my family was always at flashpoint moments. Tons of love in my family. I mean, there was a, but it was loud love. And literally, you know, my parents were both the most loving but loud people I ever met. Every family member, aunts, uncles, neighbors who we called aunts and uncles, everybody was loud. And what would go on, of course, was that at any given moment, something was about to erupt. I remember one of the very first time, at the time he wasn't my brother-in-law, he became my brother-in-law. He came over for Thanksgiving and there was, you know, 80 Italian people in one house, you know? And my two sisters started talking about education. One sister's an educator and the other one, and before you know it, they're screaming at each other in the family room, you know? And my future brother-in-law is just like looking like this. He wasn't, we didn't know he'd be my future brother-in-law at the time. He's just kind of looking. And he's got like a deer in headlights look. And I'm like, you okay, buddy? <laughs> you know? And he's like, are they going to be okay? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, after this is over, they're going to kiss each other and tell you, I'll call you tomorrow. He's like, no way. You know, and this whole thing, it blows up. And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. And they're just screaming. And then it was like, okay, time to go. And they kissed you. I love you, babe. I'll call you tomorrow. But, you know, I used to love it because I'm not the quietest person either. But I used to love just to sit back and watch, and you'd see these things, and it's a, everything's about ready to explode. Now, I bring this up because what we're studying today is a classic example of a flashpoint, where everything is going to come to a head. And let's be honest. Talk about friction in life. Talk about the things in life that are the hardest. It's like those moments where you know that something's going to blow up. Do you lose your head in the middle of that? And not just us losing our head in the middle of it, but really what this is about, it's about the tension between our culture that we live in and the faith that we have. And how do we thrive in the midst of that tension? 
And I think what goes on for most of us is that at the flashpoint moment, most of us don't choose Jesus at all. We choose the pressure and the struggle and the fight for the moment. And we're going to see today Daniel's friends, who we know most commonly as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to see them in a moment of a flashpoint, and we're going to see these guys do amazing, and we're going to have so much to learn. So open up in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel, chapter 3. As we continue our study here through the book of Daniel, I'm actually going to read you the whole chapter. So I want you to be able to read along with me. Of course, if you have a smart device, just pull that baby out, type in Daniel, chapter 3, and it'll pop up. You can choose your translation. I normally read and teach out of the New King James with a little bit of the New Daniel inflection because I can't read very well sometimes. (laughs) Grab those Bibles. Daniel's easy to find. It's right after the book of Isaiah and then Jeremiah. There's a little book in between Jeremiah and then Ezekiel. All those are real long books. And then the book of Daniel. So chapter three, look at how we're going to just get the setup here in verse one. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and it's with six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the administrators, the treasurers, the counselors, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4, then a herald cried aloud, and he said, And it was commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, in symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image image which you have set up. Now, you see what's going on here. If you were with us as we looked at Daniel chapter 2, that image of the multi-metallic image, remember Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he wanted to know what the dream was and what its interpretation was. And sure enough, God gave the understanding of the dream and its interpretation to Daniel, right? And Daniel came in, and remember it was a head of gold, and Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are the head of gold. You're the head of gold. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He's like, I'm going to make a whole statue of gold. Now, isn't that like humanity? 
right? He's just the head of gold. He's like, well, I'm the head of gold. I'm going to make a whole statue of gold. And so what he decides to do is he decides he's going to erect this huge statue. It says that it's 60 cubits, of course, by six cubits. Now, a cubit is a biblical measure, which is from the tip of your middle finger to about the crook of your elbow. Most people say it's about a foot and a half. So 90 feet by nine feet, 90 feet high, nine feet. And really what it is, is Nebuchadnezzar is doing a state-sponsored religion. That's what he's doing. He's saying, look, everybody's going to come. Notice we get all these different listings of people, the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials. Really, we get the sense here that he's got a pretty well-organized government, He's got all the different people. He says, when you all come together, and then he said, when you hear the sound of all these musical instruments. Now, those musical instruments that we have in the text would be the equivalent of our drums and guitars, the bass, because everyone follows the bass player. You know what I mean? The keyboards, the whole nine. When all the music goes off, everyone's supposed to bow down and worship this image. And this is a big deal. Everyone's supposed to be there. Notice, every language every people, every nation, they're all there. When the music goes, and you, of course you know you need the music for emotional impact, right? It's amazing the power of music. This is an aside because I love music. But like if you watch a movie and you remove the soundtrack, it's amazing how different your experience of the movie is. You don't realize oftentimes how music because of the presence of music, it has an impact. Like if you watch the Star Wars movies, like each character has music themes, you know what I mean? Like, of course, the dark side music is one way and it makes it feel ominous and, and, and the holy people music is all happy and it makes you feel another way. And it's really powerful what music can do. And Nebuchadnezzar gets this. So he's like, man, I got a state-sponsored religion. I got me a rock and worship team. And when that happens, everybody falls down and worships. But sure enough, we find out right away that certain Chaldeans come forward and they accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what does this teach us? My friends, you and I need to stand up and be counted. You and I need to learn how to stand up and be counted. In this situation, everybody in the Babylonian culture is falling down to worship this gold image created by this very powerful king, except for three guys. Three guys, everyone else bows down. Three guys just stand on up. They don't bow down. They stay firm. So much so that the Chaldeans come and they accuse these guys to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, oh, king, live forever, which was saying, you know, king, you're the greatest. We hope you never die. Oh, king, you have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O oh king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. You see what's going on here? See, this worship was, if you didn't do the worship that Nebuchadnezzar wanted, it's punishable by death. Now, that's classic empire way of living, right? If you don't get what you want, we're going to kill you. And Nebuchadnezzar has this all thing. It's all tied together, right? But sure enough, when this happens, these guys don't do what everyone else is doing. That's why I said you need to stand up and be counted, because when you look at the world that we live in today, and our faith in Jesus, a lot of you, and I say a lot of you, are bowing down and worshiping whatever you're told to worship so that you are just like everybody else. 
We live in a day and age of the compromised church. The church of Jesus Christ only knows how to line on up with empire. There's all the pressure. We see the church co-opted by political group, by materialism, by secularism. I mean, all the isms align, and they say, we are going to co-opt you so that you are not unique. But Jesus says, I want you to be unique. And we need to learn how when everyone else is bowing down because they're supposed to, we stay and hold our ground. And you got to ask yourself, I admit, I said that very strongly, but I felt like I needed to because I think oftentimes we're like, well, hey, you know, Fusco, I'm at church, I'm a Christian. You're like, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, I'm not bowing down, are you? I mean, what's interesting is if your life was on the line, we all would say, yeah, if my life was on the line, I'd be rock solid, but would we really be? I mean, think about how someone does something wrong at the water cooler and we don't say anything because we just want to be liked. Like we just get real quiet and hoping someone's going to stand on up and be right. See, this reminds me of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Very important verses. Jesus said it this way. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when Jesus was there in what we call today Capernaum, right? And he was given the Sermon on the Mount. Right behind him on the mountain was the city of Safad, and you couldn't miss Safad. If you're in Capernaum, you see that city on a hill, and Jesus is like, man, you guys are like, well, see that city? It can't be hidden. You can't hide it. It's there. And really what he's saying is that us as the people of God are meant to be like the city of Safad on a hill. You can't hide it. It is there. You can't pretend like it's not there. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they realized that at this moment in their lives, this flashpoint moment, they were either going to honor God or they weren't. The request of King Nebuchadnezzar was, you need to worship this image that I created. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, no, my Bible says you shall, I shall have no other gods before the true and living God, and I shall not create any sort of image to bow down and worship it. So at that moment, faith and culture collide. And these guys stand up and are counted. Now, you think that this was the scary part. Actually, the scary part comes in just a moment. Because it's one thing to stand up in public in the midst of all this. Maybe you're not noticed, but King Nebuchadnezzar is smart. He doesn't just take the accusation. Instead, he calls those guys in and he asks them themselves. Look at what happens. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good, but if you do not, Worship, you shall be cast immediately 
into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and he commanded that they heat up the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. You see what we see here? Listen, you want to know how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to make the right decision at a flashpoint moment? Because they settled it beforehand. And you need to settle it beforehand. This is so important. What I want to, because all of us have habits in life right? And really what we're talking about now is we're talking about what does it mean to have habits of God's kingdom? right? That when the crisis point happens, when the flash point happens, this is how I want to respond. And what most of us do is we don't settle it beforehand. So in the moment of temptation, we act emotionally. And guess what happens when we act emotionally? We get it wrong. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only do they not bow down when everybody does it, but Nebuchadnezzar gets mad and he invites them in and he says, is it really true? Because don't miss the fact that at the end of chapter 2, not only did Daniel get elevated, but Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego elevated to prominent positions. So this is not something that's going on in private. This is like an elected official. An appointed official is now visibly going against the king. And he's like, is it really true that you guys didn't come and bow down to my image? My God told everyone that they had to. So listen, the band's going to come on in. They're going to play the music. Do it right now. I'm going to give you the shot to get this thing right. If not, you're going in the burning fiery furnace. I mean, think about this for a second. It's one thing to do it whenever they're, now you're in front of the king who is in a fury, in a rage, right? And they get the opportunity to remake their decision and save their lives. And their response is absolutely powerful because they respond, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we will serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. See, these guys had it settled before the moment on what was going to happen. And my friends, this principle we need so much. Here's the thing. Habits, right? I was talking with a founding pastor about this. We were talking about habits, you know? And Pastor Bill, he gave me such a great definition. He said, habits, there's a cue, 
or a trigger, there's a response and there's a reward. And all of our habits, where something happens, it's a cue or a trigger. And then we have our response that we have. And whatever our response to that trigger is, now all of a sudden you get some sort of reward. Now, the problem with habits is, is not every habit, the cue doesn't always bring you the right response. And the reward oftentimes is something that is destructive. Like, let me give you a common one. Because seven out of every 10 guy looks at regular internet pornography. That's what the statistics tell us. So what happens is, is and I'm going to use guys as an example, there is a stress at work. And so stress leads to my cue, gives me the response of, I'm going to look at internet pornography. And the reward that I get is an immediate feeling of excitement. But ultimately, that cycle of cue, response, and reward is completely destructive. All the research tells us, it completely undermines everything about, it rewires the brain of a guy. Let me give you another one. For you wives who wishes your husband was different than he is. Your husband does something that you don't prefer. So the trigger is your husband being a knucklehead. Your response is you lose your brains. And then the reward is you yelled at him so you kind of feel better, but it actually doesn't change anything. It makes him more distant. You feel more distant. You're like, I can't believe I acted like a crazy person. Unless you didn't even realize you acted like a crazy person, then you feel like you were justified in doing it. And either way, the reward is destructive. Make sense? Now, you realize I can do this all day, right? We can look at any struggle, whether it's alcoholism, anything we can put into. There is a trigger, there is a response, and there is a reward. Now, guess what? As a follower of Jesus... When a certain cue happens, you want the response to be a kingdom-minded response because the reward is the presence of God. See, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they never wanted not to enjoy the relationship with God that they had cultivated their entire lives. They had been praying that great prayer, the Shema, Every single day, three times a day for their entire life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And when this all happened, because they had worked in their hearts, they'd settled it beforehand that when, no matter what goes on, loving God is all that matters. When this very intense flashpoint shows up, it's already settled. I cannot love the Lord my God by doing this. See, and really what it boils down to is whatever it is that you want in life, whatever your desired reward is will be the things that drives your habits. And I think you guys are all here today. You're listening to this because deep down in your heart, you know the greatest reward in life is to walk with God. To know God, to be known by God, and to have your life be part of the work of God's good kingdom that is pressing into a broken world. But what happens is, is if you make decisions emotionally in the moment without having it settled beforehand, confronted with a life or death situation that would call you to compromise, most of us just want to stay alive. And so you settled beforehand that you will live a life of compromise. Do you remember doing emergency drills in school? They're required because having a plan and knowing what you'll do makes all the difference in those critical moments. Today, Pastor Daniel shared that the same holds true when it comes to your walk with the Lord. If you want to be able to stand firm in your convictions, you need to have what you'll do settled in your mind 
beforehand. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you need to have a plan. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share some fresh insights about the well-known story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. You'll explore how a clear direction and settled intentions are an important part of changing bad habits and developing healthy patterns. God wants you to be transformed in every aspect of your life. Living intentionally is a big part of that process. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Friction. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.